hello church and hello to our online community. Um, it really is my privilege to speak today to honour uh, those who have served our country uh, and for many who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and gave their life. Um, and as Pastor Chris mentioned, um, it is my privilege on a daily basis at our workplace, uh, Emu Gully, to tell the stories of the Anzac to the next generation. Largely we have school camps coming through, occasionally we have New Hope interns, um, but we tell the stories to the next generation. Uh, all our activities that we do, um, before we launch into an activity, we tell the story of, an, of the Anzacs and it centres around uh, the values of the Anzacs, the courage of mateship, of perseverance and self-sacrifice. And it's an incredible privilege to do that um, to the next generation of Australians. Um, I love it because uh, it seems to resonate in the hearts of us as a people. And I think it resonates in our hearts because it's our story. It's a large part of who we are as a people. And I don't know how, but somehow it seems to me that it's in our DNA as a people. I don't know how that works. It's a mystery to me, but it just seems to be in our DNA because um, we can speak to a room full of say grade 11 students of 120. Who's like, yeah, pick me. I'd love to speak to 120 grade 11 students. It's a tough audience, um, but they will, you will have every face looking at you. You will have everybody engaged with the story because somehow it resonates in our hearts. I think it doesn't simply resonate in our hearts because it's the story of us as Australians it resonates in our heart because it actually is reflective of the bigger and the greater story, the story of Jesus Christ. In 2016, Brendan Nelson, a former federal member of Australian politics and also the former director of the Australian War Memorial, said this in his speech. It's going to be on the screen. It's tempting human beings that we are, to settle for broad brushstrokes, headlines and shallow imagery of history. 102,700 Australians are named on the roll of honour at the Australian War Memorial. Like us, each had only one life, one chance to serve others and our nation. They chose us. Human beings as we are, and I think even in the world today, with all that we hear about, all the stories of tragedy and trauma and sensationalism, it's really easy to just go, oh man, it's all overwhelming, and we leave it as broad brushstrokes stories. But for a moment, I would love to bring the Anzac story from the broad brushstrokes of history and to tell the stories of the one. It's my privilege at work and to tell you today of Jim Martin. Jim Martin was Australia's youngest Anzac in World War I. He enlists at 14 and three months. He's a boy. He blackmails his parents. He says, I'm going to fake your signatures and I'm going to fake my age. I'm going to war. What an incredible situation for his parents to be in. He says this, if you sign my enlistment papers, I will write letters home. And so his mum makes this incredible decision to sign his enlistment papers to send her boy to war. He is 14 and three months. He makes it to Gallipoli. He serves there for an entire six weeks. And of all that he would pass away in a war conflict situation, he doesn't die in battle, he dies of typhoid fever. 
which I think is such an incredible tragedy. His name is on the Lone Pine Memorial at Gallipoli. William Sidney Duchesne, Sid to his family, was a New South Wales boy. He's 19 when he enlists, and he enlists immediately. He's on the first convoy that sails from Australia to join World War I. He writes five letters home. One exists. It's his last letter. It's his last letter that he writes a month before he lands on the shores of Gallipoli. And he writes some incredibly profound things home to his, his family. He says, Mum, don't worry. That's funny. You never tell your mum not to worry. But he actually writes, Mum, don't worry. I am happy and doing well and enjoying myself. And then he says, Dad, tell mum not to pray for us single men. Tell her to pray for those who are married and have a wife and family to go home. They are the men that need the prayers for them to return home, not us single men. And then he says these profound words. He says, tell them, Dad, we who are Australian are ready to give all that is most precious to us. That is our life. Tell them, Dad. I just love that little phrase. We who are Australian are ready to give all that is most precious. That is our life. Sid lands at Gallipoli on the 25th of April, 1915, at approximately 7 o'clock. At approximately 11 o'clock, he dies. He is 20. His entire campaign is four hours long. He is one of maybe 600, or it could be 700, or it could be 800, or they're not even sure if it's 900 and something. Australians who lost their lives on the shores of Gallipoli on day one, they don't know. Because of the chaos and the carnage of that landing, they're not actually really sure how many passed that day. It's my privilege, my honour to tell the story of George and Theo and William Seabrook, three brothers who enlist in 1916. They were criticised, those who didn't enlist straight up in 1915. But their comeback was, well, we know what we're signing up for. We know what we're signing up to in terms of our duty and our sacrifice because we've heard the stories of what's going on and yet we're still going. These three brothers from New South Wales signed up in 1916. They are at the Battle of Passchendaele in 1917 on the Western Front in France and Belgium. It is uh, their first day of battle. William is the youngest, he is 20, he has done some previous military training and so he is in command of a small unit of men, 30 men. He is in his forward position in the frontline trench. He's about to go into his very first battle at midnight when a phosphorus shell, a chemical shell explodes. He is wounded, he dies of his wounds the following day. Five hours later, his two older brothers are in their trench, are in the same situation, in their forward position, ready to step off into their very first battle. Before they can step over the top, a, a shell explodes and they are killed by the shrapnel wounds. All three brothers, their only first, last and only day existed, not even getting out of the trench that they were in. George and Theo's bodies are never recovered. 
They are ones of hundreds of thousands whose bodies were never recovered, especially on the Western Front. Their names are on the Menin Gate at Ypres in Belgium. And on that memorial, it says this, this, the names that are on this memorial are to honour those who were never given the dignity of a burial. And I think what a tragedy for those who have willingly given of their life in service and duty to country, were not even given the honour of just a simple burial. But that memorial is to honour them. William and Lillian's daughter, Beth. I, I imagine she grew up like you and me. She had two older brothers and a younger sister and she would have done the household chores. She would have uh, played in the street. She would have laughed and talked and ate with her family. She uh, wants to serve. She wants to do her duty. She's willing to sacrifice and give and serve. And she enlists, uh, and she, she enrolls to become a nurse. She studies in Ballarat. And then she is fortunate enough to be uh, given a training position and then a job in a hospital in Melbourne. Uh, she continues her training, she gets the job, and life is going well for Beth. Beth uh, meets Dr. John Schools, and they fall in love, and she is engaged to be married. Unfortunately, he dies suddenly about seven months later, and they are not wed. Two years later, she finds herself enlisting to go to war. Uh, she finds herself now serving as a nurse in World War II in Singapore. If you know anything of that story, you didn't want to be in Singapore. The Japanese entered the, the World War II uh, halfway through World War II in 1942. Uh, when they invaded Pearl Harbor, they also invaded the top of the Malay Peninsula. Their objective was the fortress that was Singapore that we would never lose. Six weeks later, Singapore falls. Uh, tens of thousands are taken prisoner of war. Some are able to be evacuated. And Sister Mary Elizabeth Cuthbertson, Beth, is one of 65 who, nurses who are on the Viner Brook as they are evacuated along with some soldiers from Singapore. But two days into that journey, uh, their ship is bombed, torpedoed. It sinks. They are, some of them are able to get to a nearby island, Banker Island, uh, along with some of the soldiers, only to find that that island is already occupied by the Japanese Imperial Armed Forces. And so they realise that their only means... Uh, of, act, of course of action is to surrender. Some of the soldiers make contact. The next morning they are greeted by the enemy on the beach with them. They round up all the men. They take them around the corner. That is the last that they are ever seen of. The nurses are asked to walk into the ocean and they realise the inevitable is coming. And as they do, the matron says to her, her staff, her, the nurses, 22 nurses who are with her, she says, chin up, girls. I love you all and I'm proud of you all. That is Beth's last day. She is 31 when she passes in what is known as the Banker Island Massacre. I've told this story, my last story here before, so forgive me if you've heard it before, and it's not actually an Anzac story, it's the story that Ernest Gordon, a Scottish POW, tells. He was uh, taken prisoner and made to build uh, a, a railway line through Burma and Thailand, along with many of those who were made POWs in Singapore. 
It was a brutal place to be. Uh, we had done the dishonourable thing of surrendering and so we were treated that way. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the conditions were 12-hour days uh, on meagre rations. To survive, uh, one of the means was to actually capture rats and breed them to supplement the diet. It was just hell on earth. Ernest Gordon writes about that situation in a book called The Miracle on the River Kwai. And uh, he said, at first, we were so angry and have filled with hatred towards our captors that we would have, if you've given us an opportunity, we would have ripped them limb from limb. He said, over time, we became hollow humans and we didn't have the strength, even in internally, to even hate. We were just numb on the inside to the point, he says, we couldn't we didn't even have the strength to care for one another. If someone called out on their deathbed, it would, be, it would fall on deaf ears. He said uh, he fell sick and, and two soldiers actually decided that they would nurse him back to health. And it became this little ripple effect of those who would look beyond themselves in a hell on earth situation to care and, and, and to care for somebody else. He said, though... Uh, there was one incident that transformed the entire group of men. When as they were going out, they would all collect their tool for the day, whether it be a pick or a shovel or a crowbar, whatever it was. But at the end of the day, your working party, you would bring it back, you would put it down, and there was a count to make sure that nobody had, had, had stolen some of the equipment. But on this day, there was a missing shovel. And so the entire company was, was dragged in front of the commander, and he was irate. And he said, and, and he ripped shreds off them and then finished with the threat, I will kill you all until somebody owns this crime. One man stepped forward to own the crime. He was dragged to the front and he lost his life that day. As they went out on their work party the next day, every man collected his tool and off he went for his 12-hour shift, only to find that on the ground lay one single solitary shovel. There'd been a miscount. There had been no crime. An innocent man had uh, willingly sacrificed his life for the many. He said that act became transformative of the men that were in that group. Stories of service, of duty, of willingness, of sacrifice, lest we forget. But I think that story, the story resonates, res, resonates in our hearts because it's reflective of a greater and better story. The story we remembered of Easter last weekend. The story of the one Jesus Christ. And his story starts with a stepping down. A stepping down from heaven, from glory, from greatness, from divinity. We sang this morning, the King of Heaven, stepping down to become human, to become weak and frail and one of us. That's a significant stepping down. And then when he stepped into humanity, he didn't seek to be served as he could have. He actually seeked to serve. To go outside of himself in willing service and duty himself. To... Uh, to the point of beyond what is comfortable and convenient, to the point of death on a cross, to offer us 
incredible love through sacrifice, incredible forgiveness, incredible undeserved favour, the story of Jesus Christ. And I've been trying to get my head around that story this week and why, why is the story of the Anzac so profound and why is the story of Jesus Christ so profound? And I think it centres around these things. I think it's our human instinct to know that glory and fame and greatness and power and authority is something you hold on to in our humanity. Life itself is something that you don't let go. It is the most precious thing that you and I have. You don't willingly sacrifice that, not on a whim. We know that glory, greatness and our very life is something that is most precious. And that Jesus Christ's sacrifice, the profound depths of what he did for us, communicates incredible value, communicates something that is actually incredibly humbling. Because I think we also know in the story of our very lives this truth. I am not worthy of the sacrifice of another person. I think the profound part of the story of the Anzacs and the story of Jesus Christ is, I'm not worth that sacrifice. I'm not worthy of that. And yet the story of Jesus Christ is one of willing sacrifice, of willing sacrifice that communicates to the entire world love demonstrated through sacrifice. We wouldn't understand the depths of his love unless he would show it through incredible sacrifice of death on a cross. And he communicates that to the entire world. And through his sacrifice, we know there is forgiveness, forgiveness for all, forgiveness for the entire globe. His great love for humanity, for the world. But I don't know... Maybe you're human, like Brendan Nelson said, maybe you're human. That was a dumb way to say it, wasn't it? In humanity, we are comfortable to settle for the broad brush strokes of history. But I want to ask you today, maybe you've never made that story yours. You've never personalised that story. The story of the one Jesus Christ is the story of communicating value and great love and forgiveness for you that he actually, in his sacrifice for the entire world, actually said, yes, that includes you. You I'm willing to die for. You I place value on. You I am willing through my sacrifice to take the punishment, to, take, to pay for the crime that I didn't commit, the innocent for the guilty. If you've never made that your story, and maybe online... Maybe you're listening today, but whoever you are, wherever you are, if you've never made that your story, don't settle for the broad brush strokes of history. Just put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who made the sacrifice that communicated love and forgiveness for you. Several years ago, as I was at an Anzac um, service at the Mother's Memorial downtown, 
the speaker, just standing right next to the Mother's Memorial, turned to it and he said, all across Australia, these are the stone monuments that speak of the story, that tell of the story. But we are the living memorials to the Anzac story. Oh, he got me with that one. I thought that was very, very profound. We are to be the living memorials to that story. To live as they did with this sense of willingness of duty, of service, of commitment to others, of sacrifice, of mateship, of courage and perseverance. But I think there is this uh, greater and more profound story that also mirrors that one, is reflected of that one, that we who have received this story and personalised it as our, our own, our call, our duty, our act of service is to be living memorials to Jesus Christ. That's our call, that's our role, to live as he would live, to sacrifice as he was, would sacrifice, to live in the service of others. How do we do that? Where do we do that? You people ask good questions. That's your homework. How and where would we reflect and be living memorials to Jesus Christ, the one who would actually come not to be served, but to serve, the one who would go beyond what is convenient and what is comfortable to show love, to express that to others? The where, well, I just think we have 168 hours in every single week to express that and the places that you are in that 168 hours in every single week look like probably the place that you live in, probably the workplace that you are at, possibly the, the supermarket and the car park that you drive through, where we just become ones who actually are willing to put others before ourselves. And I think uh, that Jesus expressed it to his disciples in this verse from John 15, where he actually says, this is my, this is my um, actually commandment of duty and service to you. And he's actually speaking to his followers when he says, love one another. Where? How? Uh, in maybe the church family that you have chosen to belong to. He's actually saying with you as the ones that we already follow Jesus Christ, love one another. Because you know what? That can be a stretch sometimes, can't it? Oops, you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> but the real test, the real test of our love for one another and for those outside knowing Jesus Christ yet is to really love those that are unlovely, ungrateful and undeserving because that's who Jesus Christ came for. To love those who were unlovely, undeserving and ungrateful, even for those he was willing to lay down his life. And that's the real test for me because loving the lovely is easy, but a sacrificial love goes beyond what is convenient and comfortable. May you find yourself at a memorial tomorrow to remember the story the story of the Anzacs, to honour them, but to live our lives as living memorials of a bigger and a greater story 
one that is worth remembering every single day of our lives, the story of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, how grateful we are that we live in freedom. God, we look at our world right now and see um, the tragedy and trauma in Russia and Ukraine. God, of countries being ripped apart. God, we are so blessed that we live in a time of peace, but that came through the sacrifice of many. God, we are so thankful. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for your incredible demonstration of love through the cross, of stepping down into humanity. God, may we become those willing, living memorials to honour your name, to reflect you well on planet Earth. God, we bless you and we're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.